coming up. We were somewhere around Barstow, on the edge of the desert, when the drugs began to take hold. Turn on, tune in, and listen to Philosophy Talk. Are altered states of awareness the door to a wonderful side of existence that perception alone misses? You know, a lot's changed since 1967. No doubt, though, but as long as people are still having promiscuous sex with many anonymous partners without protection, while at the same time experimenting with mind-expanding drugs in a consequence-free environment, I'll be sound as a pound. Why shouldn't mind-expanding drugs be used to help solve social ills? Altered consciousness is still too far. Our guest is artist, scientist, and drug policy reformer Amanda Fielding. Altered states, coming up on Philosophy Talk. Wow, look at that radio, man. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm Alison Gopnik. I'm sitting in today for John Perry, who's away this week. And I'm Ken Taylor. And Alison and I are here at the studios of KALW San Francisco. And we're continuing a conversation between Philosopher's Corner at Stanford, where Ken teaches philosophy, and this week, Tolman Hall at Berkeley, where I teach psychology. A much superior discipline, <laughs> I know. It's really nice to have you here, Alison. Now, today, we're thinking about altered states of consciousness. Now, of course, Ken, you could say that we alter our consciousness all day long with a nice cup of coffee or a relaxing cocktail or even an intense bout of yoga and a sublime walk in the woods. Yes, we could, and I like those, but the most intense and powerful and direct way of altering consciousness is with mind-altering drugs like LSD or ayahuasca, Allison. Now, of course, over the years, many people have taken those drugs, but until recently, we didn't understand much scientifically about how the drugs worked. In fact, it's only in the last couple of years that scientists have learned a lot about how psychedelic drugs both affect the brain and expand the mind. Oh, Alison, science and mind-expanding drugs, you know, it sounds a little back-to-the-future-ish to me. Oh, Ken, you're thinking of the bad old days of the 60s, mm. Timothy Leary and his studies of LSD and magic mushrooms. Yeah, he claimed to be researching the use of uh, psilocybin to rehabilitate prisoners, and he did some work, but what really turned him on and turned a lot of undergraduates on, so to speak, was the spiritual experiences and supposed insights gained during those so-called higher states of consciousness of his. Look, Ken, I don't want to defend Timothy Leary. He might have started out as a scientist, but pretty quickly he left real science behind. Still, some of the work that he and others did on LSD was important and, in retrospect, turns out to have been pioneering. Well, Harvard, which fired Leary, and the law, which imprisoned him for a long time, they didn't quite see it that way, Allison. Well, that's true, but that had a bad effect on science. If we really want to understand consciousness, it would help to understand how consciousness can alter and change. And we might know a lot more about consciousness now if the powers that be then had been more open-minded. Oh, but that's the, the, there's this mythology that uh, psychedelic drugs expand consciousness, but that's not what they do. They distort it. How would hallucinations give you insight into anything real anyway? If you look at the new research, it turns out that psychedelics actually do seem to expand consciousness. Oh, come on. Have you, have you been indulging a little bit in your lab there, <laughs> Allison? 
No, you know, nerds like me can. The way we turn on is just by reading more scientific research. I thought the thing, your thing, was figuring out the minds of kids. That That's your thing. What's that got to do with uh, mind-expanding drugs? Well, actually, Ken, you know, I've been trying for a long time to figure out what's it like to be a baby or a young child? What's consciousness like when you're very young? And it turns out that when people take psilocybin, their brain activity looks a lot like the brain of a very young child. Okay, and having the brain of a very young child, that's mind-expanding how exactly? Well, think about how much information preschoolers can take in. They're the best learners we know of in the universe. And not only are they brilliant, but they're remarkably flexible. They think out of the box all the time in ways that we just can't manage when we get grown up. Okay, okay. So tell me exactly how mind-altering drugs somehow give you back that childlike mental flexibility that you're so fond of. How's that work? Well, it looks as if the drugs actually make your brain less focused and less coordinated. There's less activity in the prefrontal areas, the ones that control our focus, our goal-directed action, and long-term planning. Mm, But how, how does having less focus, less control, how's that lead to greater insight? Come on. Well, what seems to happen with kids is that the fact that they have less control actually gives them a wider focus of attention and a more expanded vision. And when you take these drugs, it's not just that you get a little more aware. You become hyper-aware, conscious of everything. Oh, I get it now. I see. That's why people who are on psychedelics, they feel so creative and create really bad poetry. And they're absolutely blown away by what's actually mediocre music. I get it. I get it. Oh, Ken, you're just a skeptical old square. (laughs) Yeah. I am a little skeptical, and I am pretty square, but I'm also worried about the downsides of these drugs. How do you deal with that? Well, look, I find this new research really exciting, but of course I'm not advocating that ordinary people should go out and drop acid. That would not be a good outcome. Okay, so here's a question for you. How can we have it both ways? Can we reap the benefits of mind-altering drugs without frying a lot of brains in the process? We sent our roving philosophical reporter, Shuka Kalantari, in pursuit of an answer to just that question. She files this report. I have, an, I have a few questions for you. How many people in this crowd have seen Molly? That's Madonna on her 2012 MDNA tour. Are you ready to dance? By calling it MDNA, Most people assumed Madonna was referring to MDMA, also known as Molly, also known as ecstasy. But before it was a rave fave, ecstasy was a failed attempt to make a cleaning solvent. Industry's research laboratories are constantly working to discover tomorrow's products today. MDMA was made by accident in 1912 by the drug company Merck. When it didn't help clean stuff, they tabled it. Half a century or so later, a chemist decided to use it for another purpose psychotherapy. Between that period of about 1980 and 1985, there were thousands of therapists who were using MDMA in sessions with people. Ben Shekett is with the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, or MAPS. They research the medical use of mind-altering drugs. We're looking for applications for use in treating uh, psychological disorders like post-traumatic stress disorder, um, social anxiety, anxiety associated with life-threatening illness. MDMA, or ecstasy, is illegal to take recreationally, but researchers can get government approval to look at its medicinal benefits. The MAPS team is currently doing clinical trials to see how the drug might help people with PTSD. It's not given in isolation, uh, so we're not just giving somebody a drug and then sticking them in a room for eight hours. In the studies, 
people with PTSD get really, really high on ecstasy in the company of a sober therapist. In between those trips, they have drug-free therapy sessions. Meanwhile, another control group also receives therapy, but without drugs. Patients who took MDMA report better mental health results. So MDMA is used as a catalyst for a deeper therapeutic process than would be possible um, in regular talk therapy or with a drug like an antidepressant SSRI or something like that. Sheket says when people have PTSD, their nervous system is kind of stuck in a loop. There's this sort of self-reinforcing message of like, I'm not safe, I'm not safe, I'm not safe. MDMA makes people feel safe and happy. They like other people. And most importantly for the researchers, they like themselves. That self-hate associated with PTSD subsides. And so having access to these sort of internal resources of self-love and self-compassion are very important for the healing process. If you're on ecstasy, here's why all you need is love. MDMA functions as a catalyst for serotonin release in the brain, meaning it dumps a lot into the synaptic clefts at once. Um, so there's a tremendous sense of positive mood or of well-being. In addition, research by MAPS and others is looking at the therapeutic benefits of a slate of psychedelic drugs, ayahuasca, peyote, mescaline, and LSD. A lot of that work is being done on LSD's effects on what's called the default mode network, which is this large section of the brain that's consuming an enormous amount of energy, and we can't really figure out exactly what it's for. It seems to be correlated with things like daydreaming or like rumination. LSD decreases the activity in that part of the brain, making people more able to remain present. That's really good for study participants with high anxiety or PTSD. Sheket says there's no doubt that being in an altered state can provide meaningful insight. But I think it's important to kind of recognize that it's not the drug. The drug is giving you an experience of yourself. If you talk to people who've had very meaningful psychedelic experiences, it wasn't meaningful because they were in some weird state of consciousness. It was meaningful because they recognized that it was something true and authentic about themselves that was emerging. Ben Sheket and the team at the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies believe that psychedelics should be legal. One day. People need to know that such drugs can be used for psychological healing. But first, they need to be reintroduced in a medical context. Until then, MDMA stays in the lab. Mostly. Are you ready to dance? For Philosophy Talk, I'm Shuka Kalantari. Are you ready to make some noise? Want to hear more? You can find the complete episode on iTunes Music. Thank you for listening. Thank you for thinking. And thank you for supporting Philosophy Talk.